Hi friends, it's been a minute since I've released an episode, but I promise you that the wait has been worth it. For this Chicago-based episode, I talked to the Trans Liberation Collective. Gender blender. Blender gender. Gender blender? Gender blender. Gender 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 blender. Okay, is this better or is this okay? You have to be closer. But you're also kind of quiet. You just need a quiet speaker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, you do. You don't have an echo in your voice. You don't have a theater voice like we do. No. It's going to take a minute to get that. It's a, it's an, it's like a, it's a practice thing. This is the first time I've ever been told that I'm quiet. You're really? quiet compared to other, like, loud people. But you're super white, too. <laughs> and you, I know. You, <laughs> and you actually just moved away from mayonnaise white, so... I'm so I'm proud of you. White. No, you're not mayonnaise white no more. Is it because of the glitter? No, it's because of your activism. <laughs> <laughs> the Trans Liberation Collective, or TLC, is a radical Chicago-based collective founded completely by trans organizers. Their goal is nothing short of full liberation for all trans people. They will tolerate nothing about us without us. Their organizing centers trans people and mobilizes cis accomplices to achieve liberation for every trans person. TLC formed in March and has been organizing rad protests, marches, rallies, dances, and beach parties for trans folks in Chicago ever since. I talked to the three core members of TLC in this episode, Lasaya Wade, Stephanie Scora, and Glitter Millhouse Record. We talk about liberation, organizing and human geography in Chicago. <clears throat> okay, so I always start with people introducing themselves by saying what their name is, their pronouns, and then what words they would use to describe their gender, which I know is really hard. So just like what words would you use to describe it today? And you can also give an absurd answer to demonstrate that it's kind of an absurd question. My name is Lasaya. I use she, they pronouns. It's pretty much goddess. You can describe that way. Yeah. I am she. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, uh, she, her pronouns. And I am a genderqueer trans woman and a lesbian, a femme lesbian. My name is Jake, uh, but I've also been going by Glitter recently. Mm. And um... everyone is surprised. <laughs> The I recently, I recently went to Femme's room, and one I'm of my friends just came out as genderqueer, and um, they were like, "I feel like your name is actually Glitter," and I was like, "I feel like you are correct." That's profoundly homosexual. Yeah, Mary, Mary Bush <laughs> well, on the gaydar at one thousand. And for yeah. your listeners, Femme's room is like a trans like night, and that happens at Berlin, and it's very like femme fab. And Berlin is like a drag bar, right? Berlin is like a queer drag bar here in the city. It's in Boys Town, but it has like a very strong queer following. And well, Stephanie hates I, yeah. Berlin, obviously. Yeah, I hate yeah. Boys Town. Yeah, Boys Town is the worst, but Berlin has been like more and more trans affirming as of late. And words that I would use to describe my gender are gender queer, gender fluid, and femme. Oh, and my pronouns are they and them. I want to talk about why you don't like Boys Town, because that's come up, and I think that's important to talk about. Boys Town is a quote-unquote gayborhood, or gay neighborhood, in Chicago's north side. Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in the States, with the north side really only being safe and welcoming to white folks. 
this is a theme that comes up a lot throughout my conversation with TLC. Oh God. Yeah, that's sort of like why we're here as TLC also. <laughs> is that we all like, fuck, oh, wait, are we allowed to curse on this podcast? Okay, but this is why we all fucking hate Boys Town. It's so gendered as well as it's, it's so racist mm -hmm. as well. It's high police and it's not safe for black and brown folks. Mm -hmm. And, and like, it's also gentrified. Yeah, and it's it's also like largely not safe for trans folks who aren't like, white cis passing trans men or trans masculine people mm. like boys town has very much taken it upon itself as white cis gay men often do uh to name itself like the gay heart of chicago when in reality like boys town ain't shit and if by gay heart of chicago you mean stealing all the resources pushing trans people of color out of the way and having a lot of drunk people then yeah i guess that's the gay heart of chicago and and there's a pub here on the south side of chicago that's been here longer than the uh, um boys town mm -hmm. and like people don't talk about it is the longest running uh, lgbt club in chicago period mm -hmm. and it's the only one on the south side of chicago mm -hmm. Historically speaking, there's a great book called Chicago Whispers that was written by Sugi de la Croix, who's actually from Wales, but he wrote this book and it's about LGBT Chicago history and it does focus on the South Side a lot. And it talks about how Boys Town was taken away from lesbians mm -hmm. and how it was originally a lesbian sort of like queer bar area. And then mm -hmm. it was taken over by cis Jazz. gay men. Actually, Boys Town isn't even the... I, I mean, I would hesitate to call anything about Boys Town queer. Um, Boys Town isn't even the gayest neighborhood per capita anymore. That recently shifted to Edgewater, which is a neighborhood on the on the north side that actually has more queer and trans people living in it per capita than Boys Town does. I, and I personally have some conflicting feelings about it because growing up, like when I was maybe 15 or 16 and we were like coming to terms with being queer and like I was dating this guy and he was queer and I was queer, but we weren't going to like say that. And we definitely like weren't attracted to each other, but we were just like dating because that's what you do when you're in high school and you're like trying to hide your queerness. Right. And, Everyone's um, right. <laughs> like you just like, you have to just fake it till you make it. And we would go to Boys Town. I, I just remember like feeling really welcomed there, but also like I'm white and everybody there was white. Now when I'm in Boys Town, even just as a trans person, like it's no longer a home for me. It doesn't feel safe. I mean, it's it's just, it's the conversation of the gay clubs used to be our church, right? Mm -hmm. Now we don't feel at home in our churches no more. Mm -hmm. Like, and especially when queer and trans youth actually are raised in churches. Me, I was raised in a church, and learning who we are and how how much power we come out mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. ourselves is not safe for us anymore. Mm -hmm. And to know how this system really works, this is system actually working the correct way, right? For cis white men and white women. And the way that this movement had worked in like marriage for everyone, we also have to realize, we had the realization around, marriage don't still don't make trans and non-conforming people safe, right? Never has, never will. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we, we, we go into conversations of this used to be our church. This is somewhere we used to be able to hide, be able to actually be ourselves in. But now it has became become mainstream for cis, white, gay, queer, straight, uh, straight, straight as well as has become this area that 
it's not really where it's supposed to be. Where we're actually supposed to be able to practice our, practice our radicalism, mm-hmm. practice our, you know, fuck the system, be able to actually stand in all these spaces. This space is not for us anymore. So where can we create this space now? Mm-hmm. Bars used to be the doulas of the trans community. And were being increasingly deprived of spaces and ways in which we can birth ourselves as the people that we're supposed to be in this fucked up cis supremacist and white supremacist world. And we're being deprived of those spaces by wealthy cis gay and lesbian people, by wealthy white trans people who are conforming to like the cis expectations of, you know, nightlife and party culture. And we're doing that in these spaces that you know, don't belong to white people, that don't belong to cis people, but now have been changed and gentrified to the point where white and cis people feel like they belong there Mm -hmm. and that they're not just borrowing the space. Mm -hmm. It makes me want to cry. I'm trying not to. Because as a person that is actually like really a mixed race person, my father's Afro-Puerto Rican, my mother's Afro-Indigenous, I'm literally, literally the the remnants of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera herself, right? Okay, it's trans history lesson time. Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera should be legends in the LGBTQ community. Marsha was an African-American trans rights, gay rights, and AIDS activist, sex worker, and drag queen who was active in the New York scene throughout the 60s and 70s. Sylvia Rivera was also involved in the scene in New York at the same time. She was of Venezuelan and Puerto Rican descent, and she was a trans rights and gay rights activist and drag queen. Marsha and Sylvia were both involved in the historic Stonewall riots in Greenwich Village in 1969. At the time, the Stonewall Inn was one of the few places in the city where people who were queer, trans, homeless, and or racialized could commune. One night in June in 1969, during a pretty typical police raid of Stonewall, the patrons rebelled and fought back against the police, who eventually fled. That week, the first gay pride march occurred. Trans and queer folks were tired of being targeted by the police. And we should always remember that pride was started by trans women of color, like Marsha and Sylvia. After Stonewall, Marsha and Sylvia co-founded the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, or STAR. This was a group dedicated to helping homeless young drag queens and trans women of color. Today, the Stonewall Inn still stands in Greenwich Village, but much like what TLC has been talking about, it's been taken over by mainly rich, cis, white, gay men. I think in a lot of ways, TLC is trying to bring back a space of radicalism, a space where trans people, and especially trans people of color, can, to use Stephanie's words, birth themselves. I want to know what is the Trans Liberation Collective and what does trans liberation mean to you? So Trump had just gotten elected, right? And I was not involved in activism whatsoever. That week, China Gibson was murdered here in Chicago, here on the South Side. And Trump had attempted to roll back protections on trans students with the bathrooms, something that Obama had put into place. And then Trump was like trying to get rid of it. It was a really hard time to be trans in Chicago. Like every post on my Facebook was just like trans people mm-hmm. in Chicago who were upset and devastated. It was really, really hard. And I was just fed up. I had gone to the Women's March in Washington 
because I was like trying to be involved in like whatever way I could. And I saw them censor Janet Mock's speech online when she talked about sex work. They kicked another trans woman of color off stage when she mentioned Sylvia Rivera and uh, Marsha P. Johnson. I just like watched trans women who were supposed to be speaking and supposed to be like respected, not get respected, especially like trans women of color. And then we were, I was here in Chicago, like going to marches and there's this guy, his name is John Backman. John Backman is this white, straight, <sighs> cis guy who is like probably like either an atheist or a Christian, like just like not oppressed in any way. And John is like standing up there and he's like, there are no trans activism in this city. And like, there are no trans organizations, which is bullshit because Lasai is part of um, Black Trans Gender Nonconforming Collective. But there hadn't been something huge and trans since Trump was elected. And that's like what I was craving. And I made an event on Facebook by myself that was just like a trans, trans against Trump thing. And I named it the Trans Liberation March because like that was what it was. I think like 6,000 people were interested. Lasaya, how many people were interested in that event? You would know better than me. So to include on that, when Jacob started the event on Facebook, I reached out to them personally because I'm snapping. Like when people are saying there's no trans things that are actually happening here, mm. BTGNC Collective is here. Race Based Alliance, my own organization is here. TJLP is here. Familia is Familia. here. So it's just like they're not big because they don't have the structure and the money behind them, right? So when they were just starting the event, it was like 100 people interested in it. And I reached out and I was like, what's going on? What is this? Where's the black trans people, the you know, POC trans people? Uh, so Jacob's like, I don't know. Um, we're gonna it's do like very baby organizer. <laughs> um, and Messiah came in it, and like saved my ass, so basically. This is so short. Like this is not that long ago. Uh, so what 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 it was is that I came in, then Cherry reached out to me, a uh, Michelle, we Michelle. call her Cherry. I want to nickname her Cherry Bamboom because that's exactly <laughs> what she comes in. She brings ah! a whole boom. Oh in my space. god! Yes. <laughs> Cherry reached out to Stephanie. Mm -hmm. And so, we had known each other from school. Yeah. And we came all together. And me and Stephanie are very seasoned organizers. I've been doing this over for 10 plus years. And you have been doing I've been doing it since like 2012. Yeah. But like full fucking time since 2012. Yeah. So what we did was like my background is straight media and PR. I'm connected with BLM in Chicago. If anyone know about Black Lives Matter in Chicago, Black Lives Matter don't play that shit here in Chicago. So I had 10 plus thousand folks on that side. Um, I saw the starters and many different organizations across um, as well. JB, uh, JVP. JVP was there. Um, so we, we brought our collective numbers mm -hmm. together, right? Right. And then we also had people that came from like outside the state to this yeah. march. It was, it was lucky enough that it was ran by three people. Mm -hmm. four because mm -hmm. i'm not gonna forget michelle michelle put in some fucking work oh yeah me? she did i will never forget about michelle mm -hmm. and especially in this particular incident like and she always takes a back backseat because she says yes always always but she, but she is showing up day and night for everything that we do and like it holds us accountable oh yeah we need to be oh, held accountable. yes <laughs> it was really very much a collective effort between the three of us and Michelle and our networks and the fact that Jake took to the work so quickly and that Lasaya and I have so much experience doing 
sort of like flashpoint organizing where mm -hmm. things need to happen really damn fast. Mm -hmm. And so we make them happen really damn fast no matter what. We're bringing different perspectives and different thought processes as well as different backgrounds mm -hmm. to this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but in this particular night, it was like almost zero degrees. We had people out there with hand warmers. We had people out there marching. We had a, actually, a, I did not know because we had so many people out there. We were at the beginning of the march. Mm -hmm. We had a marching band that came out there. What? Yes. I had no clue. What yes. the fuck? When did you hear about are that? Are there photos? There are photos of them, yes. Where the fuck are they? <laughs> Sarah, they're on Sarah J's page. So we had a marching band that was out there. Trans band. It was, they, they, they I stated the numbers from collecting from different resources that we had close to 2,500 people out mm -hmm. there that night. We had close to 7,000 that was interested. We had over 2,000 that hit the street that yes. night. And it was almost zero below zero degrees. It was that, cold it as was, fuck. Okay, so it was 15 degrees uh, that night. Do you know what that is? Cold as, as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> So it was really cold. We had and very from, windy. We I had, was wearing four jackets. Babies. Oh yeah, we had babies like like infants, infants. and to all the way up to sixty year olds out there, from across from gender spectrums to races that was out there. There are some really beautiful photos of the march that happened on March third that I'll link in the episode description so you can begin to get an idea of how powerful this event was. And this was the biggest Midwest march in like no holiday no trans no like trans selective holiday this was this was like march the third one of the coldest days in chicago mm -hmm. like you hit a corner with the wind with the wind would cut you kind of cold right oh, yes. and this is like two months after my car wreck i'm out there as well mm -hmm. so it, two months after i moved here and built all my goddamn furniture in my fucking place i'm out there <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was so much it was like we're trying to I'm trying to heal. They're trying to move here and get get situated. Jacob's like, this is their first. Yeah, they're like a baby activist. Ba baby activist, literally like less than a week old of activist. I've never seen someone pedal on a bike so fast, trying to catch up to where we're actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate that because they were right there like, I'm here to learn, mm -hmm. I'm here to watch, I'm also here to take lessons, right? So pretty much Trans Liberation Collective came together mm -hmm. when, after the march, we got back together and collectively like thought the process out. And it was like, we need to build on this momentum, right? Where we just made history in the Midwest. How can we build on this momentum? Mm -hmm. How can we keep this going? How can we keep pushing our community to actually hit the streets, to mm. actually do what we need to be done. So yeah, we got together and like, okay, shit, let's make a trans liberation collective. Mm. And when we talked about doing this like collective, that had been something that had been popping in my mind for like a while. And for me, like liberation is validation. If trans people feel validated through our actions, then we've succeeded. And that they see this and they're like, yes, that's something that I need somebody to do for me. Mm -hmm. It's like shut down pride or like, to get 2,500 people to show up downtown in the cold and be like, your body has worth and you are like a valued person. What kind of work do you hope to do in the future? Well, what kind of work don't we hope to do in the future? I mean, so like the thing that we like to say <laughs> is that our work is complete when every single trans person everywhere is liberated and we will we'll settle for nothing less than full liberation for all trans people 
we'll stop at nothing short than short of that. So we're going to be in business for a long time. Hopefully not that long, but like we all know a really long time. We see our work as showing up for trans people wherever trans people are. And that just happens to be everywhere. We do a lot of work. I mean, we're also we're a very new collective, but we, we do a lot of work on police abolition and prison abolition. We do a lot of work um, in the Palestinian solidarity movement. We do a lot of work trying to combat like all the various racisms that are running around like our city. Running amok. Running amok in our city and in our state and in our country or whatever country this is in our country, like whatever country this is. But, you know, we, we locate ourselves in transness and like the liberation of trans people. And when we say transness, we want to include gender non-conforming people. We Absolutely. want to also include genderqueer folks. Absolutely. And, 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 and when we say that, when we say transness, we include that in that word. For me, it's just like transition. Whatever you just, from what you, what the doctor told you that you said you're supposed to be, you transition to something else, right? Mm-hmm. For me and my perspective, Transness is all that inclusiveness, right? Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, our our work is the work of liberation for all peoples. Because trans people, gender nonconforming people, genderqueer people, like, we are constituent to all peoples. And our liberation is the liberation of all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, until until every single trans person is free people in general aren't going to be free. If the darkest, baddest, transest person in the deepest part of Africa is not free, mm-hmm. no one's free. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how I want to say it. The queerest, darkest, fattest, femist, femist, trans person in the deepest part of Africa is not free, no one's free. Bloop. <laughs> the most marginalized of all marginalized that hit the pinnacle of marginalization is not free then none of us is free and we need to understand that look at it sit with it and also get with it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like what does freedom look like for you folks can you can you put it into words no i don't think no one can put it in mm-hmm. words but i do want to bring like nina simone in this space mm-hmm. freedom to me is like when i'm able to sit with my other trans folks and laugh And not having to worry, right? In that laughter, I'm forgetting about everything. I'm actually able to laugh and let my guard down to laugh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it might be for like a blink of an eye, but that's like a hint of freeness. Mm-hmm. Like when you step outside and that cool wind hits your body and you're just like, nothing can take this away from me right now. For me, that feels like a hint of freeness. Um, so I do want to bring Nina Simone in this space. Mm-hmm. Jake and I just had like a 10 second standoff. <laughs> Both of our mouths were open. We were trying to say who's going to talk first. Um, I, so I, I guess for me, you know, I also can't define freedom or what freedom looks like. Like, especially as a white person, I also feel like that's not my job to define what freedom looks like. But I suppose a concept of freedom could be like, you know, just like Lysia is invoking Nina Simone, I'm going to invoke Silvia Rivera, where on, on her deathbed, Silvia Rivera was actively working in her own words to destroy the human rights campaign 
because she felt very strongly and was right, very, very right, that they were co-opting queerness and turning the queer liberation movement into gay capitalism. Um, and she died in like, what, 2001? Yes. Yeah, 2001. Uh, and she, on her deathbed, was struggling to to be free and to just be simply acknowledged as one of the women that started everything that we have. Mm -hmm. And I guess for me, what freedom could look like or could sound like is when trans people on our deathbeds don't have to struggle to simply be known and to simply be acknowledged as like people who have existed and done work that we deserve to be credited for when we, so I'm a big believer in like this thing called necropolitics, uh, which was um, coined by critical ethnic studies scholar, Akili Mubembe. It takes the idea of power and turns it on its head rather than the right to live as you choose. It's the right to choose the means in which you want to die. And so like for me, freedom for trans people looks like a world in which we can choose the conditions, the, the physical and political conditions of our death and not be struggling to be recognized as a person who existed at all when our time on this earth has come. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so good. I also want to bring in Afro-pessimism in that, right? Mm. Because my Blackness is always, in this society, a threat to everyone, right? I'm always going to be targeted because of my Blackness. And and I see that it's, it's, it's real, it's honest. And I just want to bring that in that conversation. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Absolutely. I think that Stephanie made a great point, and so did Lasaya. Both of them are literally amazing. As I've previously said, they are both queens. <laughs> but for me, like, freedom... And like, I can only give, as Stephanie just said, I can only give a, a white version of what freedom looks like for me. I can't speak to black and brown folks. Um, but for me, it's freedom is like the ability to like go into a space and exist as a trans person and not like have to worry about being trans and being able to not have fear when I go literally anywhere or worry about like how I'm being read that day or like what kind of pronouns or like people's reactions to my pronouns. Um, so I guess like freedom to me is just like, is no police, no government and feeling safe, feeling that validation. I also think that your demands that you listed when you disrupted Pride last month point towards what you see as freedom. In June, the Trans Liberation Collective and other coalitions from across Chicago, including the Black Trans and Gender Nonconforming Collective, Jewish Voice for Peace, Asada's Daughters, and Black Lives Matter Chicago, disrupted Chicago's Pride Parade. They disrupted the parade for about 20 minutes before they cleared out so as not to risk any arrests. The protesters had a list of seven demands, calling out Chicago pride for being colonialist, Zionist, classist, and racist. I'll provide a link to their list of demands in the episode description. I talked to Lasaya, Steph, and Glitter about their first demand. The first one, and I'm gonna read it out loud because I have it written down. 
the first one that I want to talk about is your first demand, which is we call for divestment from gentrification, displacement, and white cis supremacy. And then you expand on that. When queer celebrations uphold violent systems of gentrification and segregation in Chicago, echoing racist practices of redlining that have shaped the human geography of the city, queer revolution is impossible. I just wanted you folks to expand on that, particularly if you could speak to the history of redlining in the city and the way that it's impacted being queer and being trans and being a person of color in the city today. The redlining was a big piece for me. A lot of people don't understand that the culture of Chicago itself is Southern, right? Because my grandparents are actually from Tennessee. They came up here to Chicago to work. My parents are from Chicago. I'm from Chicago. And a lot of people don't understand how segregated Chicago. Chicago is one of the most segregated cities due to the United States and also very problematic, right? And a lot of people not understanding that Donald Trump would have won Illinois if it wasn't for Chicago and the numbers here in Chicago. One third of almost, I would say one third of Chicago is a POC space, right? Mm -hmm. And also, you know, other one third is neoliberalism, whatever the <laughs> hell that looks like um, for other people. The other third is like a gigantic, like it's a sentient jar of mayonnaise. That oozes the so yeah, so I'm really big on mayonnaise jokes here. <laughs> so the red lining is a big piece for me. I want to provide some background to the human geography of Chicago because I think it's important to know the history and the context of the area in order to understand why the city is so segregated today. In Chicago, the north side is coded as white and the south side is coded as black. Segregation in Chicago dates all the way back to the 1910s when African-Americans started to move from the southern states to the northern states in what is known as the Great Migration. Many moved to Chicago where the black population doubled between 1910 and 1970 from approximately 500,000 to a million. As African-Americans moved to Chicago during the Great Migration, housing discrimination forced them to live in what was then known as the Black Belt and which expanded as the population grew and is now known as the South Side. This practice of housing discrimination is known as redlining. Redlining got its name in the mid 20th century when federal housing agencies in the states would determine whether areas were fit or unfit for investment by banks, insurance companies, and other financial institutions. Areas deemed unfit for investment were outlined in red on a map, hence the name redlining. And these areas were typically African-American or otherwise POC neighborhoods. Because these areas were deemed unfit for investment, the people living in them were denied loans and mortgages, and the areas themselves were not invested in by the city or by financial institutions. These neighborhoods were left underdeveloped and unmaintained, and they fell into disrepair. The racist underpinnings of redlining are impossible to deny, and the result has been less opportunity for African-American and other POC folks in Chicago. These neighborhoods are more likely to be food deserts, to be far away from hospitals, from transit options, and from employment opportunities. This goes to show how the federal and municipal governments have failed communities of color. Or as Lasaya said earlier in the interview, Perhaps these systems are working exactly as they're supposed to, and that's why what TLC is doing is so important, because it's examining these systems and critiquing them and showing the ways in which they actually exist to oppress certain communities. 
I'm going to provide some links in the episode description so you can read more on redlining and how it's shaped the Chicago that we know today. Right now in Chicago, they have closed down 50 schools mm-hmm. in the southwest and east side of Chicago. If you go on the north side of Chicago right now, if you go to a high school, they have a fucking theater in the high school. This high school looks like colleges mm-hmm. um, in the north side of Chicago. Um and also in the loop of Chicago, they actually give these schools one million dollars um, to survive, and they're closing the schools in the south, east, and south side of Chicago. And they're closing the school, the schools in the black neighborhoods that are on the north side as well, and turning them into condominiums. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a big problem, a big gentrification uh, issue that that we're having right now. And not only do we have to educate like black and brown communities not to be pushed out and continue to fight, but also uplift them, right? Because fighting is a struggle, and it hurts to have to fight for something that you've already fit fought for. I'm trying not to cry again. Fought for for so long to see an elder in a community that has been there for so long um, and has continued to fight and them to say, like, I'm tired, right? Yeah. I'm exhausted. Um, it hurts me. Why do they have to continue to fight for so long, right? So it's it's something that sits and resonates with me. It's not because I'm just not trans and queer, but I'm also black and brown. I have to every day go in these spaces and realize that my people have worked their ass off and continue to work their ass off just like I am today to just to eat for tomorrow. And it hurts. It hurts like hell. I'm sorry. Um, To continue to see that my uncles and my father and my mother continues to have to fight just to keep their home because they know property taxes going up. They know they're not going to be able to pay their taxes um, next month or the, the following year, or they have to take on an extra two or three jobs to make sure that they can live the quote unquote, the American dream. I have to go into realization that my queerness and my transness is also interlining intersections, intersected with their struggle as well, mm-hmm. right? I am marginalized within a marginalized within a marginalized community. And it hurts. And they, if a, like we said earlier, if a trans person is liberated, everyone is liberated because a trans person's body itself is a remnant of resistance to the system and it's telling the system that you've always been wrong and we need to understand that and I have to teach my black and brown community if I am liberated we are all liberated and my problems are your problems your problems are my problems and we have to understand that I want to add like one really quick thing because like I can't add any substance to what Lasaya said because I think Lasaya said it all. But I think that there's one like one thing in particular that really needs to be articulated in terms of like gentrification and redlining in Chicago and uh, and especially uh, including school closures. And that's if you look at the policies of the city of Chicago that are coming down from the mayor's office, 
from like Israeli Rahm Emanuel, you see, a, you can draw a direct line to what is happening in other spaces around the world where there is ethnic cleansing going on. Chicago is being ethnically cleansed. Policies that include school closures in black and brown neighborhoods, increasing police presence and police brutality, raising taxes and property taxes to force people out of their homes, and gentrifying black and brown neighborhoods so that people who have lived there for generations can't afford to live there, those policies combine for a textbook definition of ethnic cleansing. City, the city of Chicago is being ethnically cleansed by white people in leadership and has been, on a has been going on a policy of ethnic cleansing for decades that is just now coming to a head. And we're seeing it broken down into all these different things like school closures, like gentrification, like rising taxes, like police brutality, because there is a concerted effort by the white leadership in the city of Chicago to push black and brown people out of the city and eventually out of the state itself because they like their racism and their white supremacy is so severe that they want black and brown possessions and they want black and brown culture but they do not want black and brown people who produced and created with their blood sweat and tears that property and that culture they do not want those people around they want the fruits of their labor and that's why they're ethnically cleansing the city of chicago and i think like we cannot say it enough that these policies are not just simply gentrification. These policies are not just simply police brutality or white supremacy. This is ethnic cleansing going on in Chicago, and it needs to be named as ethnic cleansing. And that's part of what I'm trying to do now is change like the work that I'm doing and how can we do the work, but also use the structure and the system that they use against them as well, right? Mm -hmm. How can we use the power that we have? They might have capital, but we have social capital, right? Mm -hmm. And we need to realize how much social capital that we do have. How we don't have no problem in knocking on doors, but they might have a issue. They have no problem sending a mail or an email to mm -hmm. someone, right? Um, but if we are able to walk and knock on people's doors, neighborhood, and start with the aldermans in these neighborhoods. We should be able to change things. That should be easy for us. And that's my next step for myself or what I'm going to do is start from the ground and trying to rebuild Chicago. It's like we're trying to hit this, hit this pinnacle of trying to knock this person at the top off. But if we have the people at the bottom holding this person to the fire at the top, we should have no problem in losing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we will always win. Mm -hmm. We will never lose. And that's what we need to start at. Mm -hmm. I just also want to mention that if your listeners want more information about the genocide happening in Chicago, the UN has done a full report on genocide in Chicago. I'll link that. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, Assata's Daughters and BLM actually took Illinois itself to the UN and processed them against the, uh, the gentrification and the genocide of black and brown folks here in Illinois. Mm-hmm. I think we should also take a second to lift up one of our sibling organizations who's in a co who's in our coalition, Pilsen Alliance, uh, and they're they're doing a lot of really amazing work around fighting gentrification and school closures and police brutality in the Pilsen neighborhood in Chicago, uh, which is a historically Latinx uh, neighborhood on the southwest side that's currently being gentrified and like 
brown people and black people are being pushed out of Pilsen. Pilsen Alliance is fighting tooth and nail to keep their city and keep the and keep the culture of their neighborhood. Um, and we're right there with them. Uh, is there anything that you want to finish with? Any final thoughts? Things that we didn't get to talk about that you want to shout out or talk about in depth? Whatever. <laughs> oh wow. Ooh. There's so much. That's such a big opportunity. That Don't give me that wide. So, yeah, that's so We'll much. be here for four years. You, we will be here for four years. We can talk about anti-blackness, you know, the sexualization of trans and black folks' bodies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can go on and on and on. <laughs> Do you want to? Oh. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. I could talk about the anti-Semitism inherent in the Zionist movement. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah, I don't know how this music is going to show up in the recording. So it might, you might talk and then I might not be able to use it. Which is too bad. Where is that coming from? Probably next door. At this point in our conversation, music started playing outside of Osai's apartment. I was worried about how it would sound on the recording, but it actually didn't register on my mics at all. What it did do, though, was start a really wonderful conversation about what Chicago means to each of the TLC members. I live in a high Puerto Rican and Mexican neighborhood, so this can go on and on and on. It's nice. It's nice. It is. It's just maybe not for the. It's nice. It's just bad for the. It's bad for the noise background. This is like Chicago. Like if I don't feel like I'm in Chicago unless I can like hear Mexican music. Yeah, like if. If there's no music in the background, it's not Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hopefully, you'd be able to post this on the podcast. Like, um, Chicago is diverse. And every neighborhood that you go in, you'll hear some type of music in that neighborhood. And that's a part of Chicago's culture that people want to, like, push out. Like, mm. the celebration of POC people. Like, Black neighborhoods and Mexican neighborhoods and Puerto Rican neighborhoods that make it what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding the culture, like, I can go in, like, over by Hyde Park, not Hyde Park, um, Humboldt Park, which is a high Puerto Rican neighborhood mm-hmm. where my partner used to live in, and Puerto Rican music be, like, everywhere. You, all you have to do is step outside and just go on a line dance. Mm. And, like, you want you want some ch- patatas? Like, you just, like, that's the neighborhood, and that what makes... Chicago so beautiful and when you step in these gentrified neighborhoods and be like why are the bushes in circles? (laughs) (laughs) Why are there white people setting up taco shops to sell gentrified versions of elotes and not letting eloteros walk around selling their own fucking elotes which are better than the mayonnaise bullshit that these white people put together? That's literally Lincoln Park. Yeah. It is literally Lincoln Park. You're describing Lincoln Park right now. Yeah like like Fucking gentrification is pushing out the culture and the music and also, like, stealing the food and making it worse. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, other white people, that you can't appreciate spice and flavor because your taste buds are so traumatized from your privilege. Or have never had it. Or have never had it. Like, you need to have some real fucking elotes before you, like, you know, import some German corn and, like, some spices from, like your mama's backroom garden in New York and you need to like have elotes from the people who have been making elotes their whole life and not push them off of the streets and let's go beyond that not their whole lives but their whole culture right? yes their whole culture is built on this particular food yes um, yes it's just like 
this is Chicago. Like, if you want to talk about Chicago and Illinois, it's, it's so rich and my heart is in it, right? It's, it's a part of who I am. I am Chicago. You are looking at Chicago right now, right? You are looking at Chicago right mm. over there, right? You're, you, and to understand, like, north, south, east, and west, I can go in Chinatown. And Chinatown is culturally rich, right? And we when you want to talk about how racism is a structure, it's like white people are okay with Chinatown, right? And if, mm. if, if, if the Asians stepped up to the police and said, you're fucking with me, it's okay for them to do that. But in a black neighborhood that black folks actually stand up and rise, it's not okay. It's not okay for me to, for a black person to tell the police that you're fucking with my community, mm. that you're killing black and brown people out here in the streets. But if an Asian person does that, oh, it's, it's culturally acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because that they, they inherit that whiteness um, they can profit off that whiteness too. And they also have anti-blackness in the Asian community. And we need to talk about what that looks like as well. Um, but it's the simple fact of how this culture of uh, like white supremacy and system oppression actually works against black and brown folks and bodies itself. But yeah, Chicago is built on the backs of black and brown folks. And the music is my life. The culture is my blood, and it also is my the air that I breathe. We can talk about Chicago like forever. Mm-hmm. Um, Chicago is my blood heart. It's like it is. It is who I am. I I I moved away when I was sixteen um, due to the fact that I needed to finish school, and my parents wanted me to get a better education because they they were starting to take down the schools. Then they was like, okay, we see what's happening. Let's move to Tennessee. I was able to get my my education and was able to travel. Was able to get what I needed to get, and I was like, something is pulling at me to come back home, um, and I see why. Um, I'm able to use what I have, my privilege in education, stepping in spaces that most people are not able to get into. So yeah, I am back home, and I'm you know what I'm fucking it up, and I'm gonna continue to fuck it up until mm-hmm. it gets right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, the trans community here is so fucking amazing. And when I, like, came out, I, like, I came out and I decided to transition. And um, and I got sober at the same time. And my family disowned me. And, you know, it was trans people who, like, helped me, like, stay employed. It was trans people who, like, made sure I had meals to eat and a place to sleep every night. And it was trans people who continued to lift me up and, like, keep me safe and that's what the trans community is to me and that's why I talk so much about validation that's what we're trying to preserve and keep here my family has some hard roots here I have a family member who survived the Eastland disaster I'm Czechoslovakian they immigrated here before Czechoslovakia split the Eastland disaster killed like almost all of the Czechoslovakians here in the city it's like we're like we're embedded. We're a part of Chicago history and we're going to continue to be a part of Chicago history. And like, you know, echoing all of that, like we are all like we have Chicago inside of us. Like personally, my entire my father's entire family since the time that they came to the United States has lived in Chicago in the Jewish communities in Chicago. The first Hebrew school in this city was named for my great-grandfather. 
my grandfather was the chair of the board of one of the biggest synagogues in the city for years. And, you know, I feel like one of the reasons that I'm here, other than like, you know, my partner was born and raised here and we moved back here to be like closer to our communities and to find a home is that, you know, it's incumbent upon me to come and help correct the violence that's part of the the historical legacy of like white Ashkenazi Jews in Chicago more largely, but also like the violence that's come directly from my own family in terms of, you know, collusion with the U.S. Jewish establishment to displace black and brown people, collusion with the Israeli government to to displace Palestinian people and murder Palestinian people. And it's it's like we are all drawn here to fight for the liberation of ourselves and our communities and the people that we love and hold dear and also for some of us we have to make sure that the legacies that allowed us to exist in this space can't be allowed to continue to do harm to the people that are fighting to make Chicago a place that is worth living in because you know if the white folks and the gentrifiers have their way Chicago won't be Chicago anymore like Chicago will stop being a city worth living in if the ethnic cleansing that's coming down from the mayor's office and the policies and how the city of Chicago is being run see themselves through to conclusion like when we're fighting for trans people in the city of Chicago when we're fighting for black and brown people in the city of Chicago when we're fighting for Palestinians in the city of Chicago and by the way Chicago has one of the largest Palestinian populations in the world outside of Palestine we're fighting for what Chicago is we're not just fighting for the liberation of our communities we're fighting for maintaining the soul of the city that's brought us all together If you'd like to support the work that TLC does, you can contact the SIA's organization, Brave Space Alliance. I'll post the link in the episode description. Thank you to La Saya, Steph, and Glitter for all the work that you do and for sharing your time with me. Gender Blender will be back with another episode in a couple weeks. The music was created by Zaqueer and the graphic design was done by Alex Areza. As always, thanks to Dr. Christina Bada for her continued support and supervision. This podcast was made possible by McMaster University and funding from the Renaissance Awards.